it's amazing what, what God is doing in and through all of us. We've all got so many stories. Remember that God is building pictures and stories and things into our lives. And one of the things I said when we had the leaders here yesterday of the network, um, I said to them that it's good for us to pause and reflect and see what God has done in 2019. And the two words that I used, and it's not my, my message today, but it could be useful for some of us. What has God instilled into us over the course of the last year? What has he put into us continually? And what has he distilled in us? How has he focused in and got rid of imperfections? And he's caused this purity and this clarity of understanding and knowledge of who he is. What has God instilled in you in the last year? And what has he distilled in you? Don't just let another year come without ever pausing and reflecting on what has gone before. And I think that's a really powerful thing to do. And just that one story there is, is so beautiful. And that's one story in a room of 400 of us. And we all have amazing things going on in our lives. We did have the leaders here yesterday. Um, we are part of Skylark International. Nikki and I have the privilege of heading up um, the network that this church is part of. Um, and there are churches and charities and individuals. Uh, we had five different people coming yesterday who were thinking potentially of joining the network. Um, and we had a really amazing time here um, together. It's a beautiful family that we're part of. But it's really important that we remember as a church that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And it doesn't begin and end with us. Um, you'll have heard two plugs already today for Spring Harvest um, on tour. You know that it's uh, one of the biggest conferences in the country, and it happens at Easter, um, Spring Harvest in Minehead, Skegness, some of you may have been before, now in Harrogate for its second year. But um, last year they began taking Spring Harvest on tour, and we are so blessed that it is coming here. Tanya Bright is amazing. She's a great communicator. Paul Weston is a fantastic communicator. And you don't have to go all the way to Minehead. You can if you want. We're going as a church and running one of the venues at Minehead Week 2, which starts on Easter Monday. If you'd like to come with us, you know, you may have thought, oh, I wish you'd told me I'd have come. Well, now you know. Uh, we'll see you there. That'll be good. But they're coming here. And we're going to have an amazing evening of impartation. And Sam Blake has come and done training with our worship team. And he taught us this most amazing short line that changed everything for us. He said, we need to always remember that we get to do this, not that we've got to do this. And that little thing is a mantra that we have been able to just fall back on time and time again. What a privilege it is to lead people in worship, not that we've got to go to another rehearsal. And so he is, he is wise. He's a beautiful worship leader. Please come along. We're going to have a blast. Uh, there's a poster outside the toilets. There'll be a queue of you there later. Just look to your left and read the poster. It's Wednesday the 5th of Feb. It's going to be awesome. Um, we're going to Spring Harvest, just so, again, that you know what we're up to, Nicky and I, this year. We're also going to, as a church, we're going to New Wine Week 1, so get yourselves booked into Peterborough. Um, we haven't been plugging that very loudly yet, but we need to get in there before it sells out like it did last year. We're going to have an amazing time away as a network. And also, Nicky and I are going to be the speakers at Spring Harvest Holidays in France um, in the second week of August. So if you want to come out there and do your family holiday in France... You could come. It would be amazing. We'll give you jobs to do. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. So there you go, just in case you thought, we never know what you're doing, and we'd love to come. Um, last, a couple of weeks ago, um, we started this theme of knowing Jesus. Jesus, know him. And it's the start of our year of vision all about Jesus. If this is your first time, or maybe you didn't know it, that's our vision for the year. Pretty simple, but pretty profound and amazing. Our vision this year as a church is simply Jesus, to know him, to love him, to follow him, and to share him. And here we are in our second sort of teaching week on this. We had Bev last week. That was amazing. Do have a listen. And listen to Nikki's message on knowing him, because it was a brilliant starter to get things unpacked. 
Nikki had this image as part of her talk. I've removed a few of the words or got Anna to remove a few of the words so you don't get put off. It's about this journey that we have when we know Jesus from moving from knowing of Jesus and knowing about Jesus, which so many of us do, but actually decreasingly in the world, less people even know of him or about him. They just think he might be a swear word and think he's irrelevant and and nothing. To, To knowing deeply. And that knowing deeply is a journey that we're all on. None of us have arrived. We've got to continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus. I don't know if you ever um, remember a song. Some, loads of people won't remember this song at all, but there was a, a sort of a crazy song that I heard when I was younger. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. Sort of this spoof song. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day, that song. Um, and then it's line three that has stuck in my head as I've been preparing this message. And that is, to know me is to love me. Um, so, and that is what all this is about. That the more we know Jesus, the more we're going to fall in love with him. We don't want to just develop a head knowledge of our saviour. I don't think God's interested at all. I don't think he's impressed. We're quite impressed with people who have amazing head knowledge about who Jesus is. But I don't think Jesus is, is that concerned about that. He just wants people who love him with everything that they've got. And so as we go on a journey to know him more, it's because we want to love him more. I'm just going to come off the platform. It looks like I'm doing something profound, but no, I'm getting my water bottle. <laughs> There is a water bottle here, but it's already half drunk. And I have a thing about half drunk bottles. I know I shouldn't, but my dad always taught me you get germs if you share anything. I would never even had a, shared a can of drink with any family member until I was in my 30s. And uh, yeah, the idea of having a child that might dribble, I, I didn't cope, cope, cope with that. I've kind of got used to it. In fact, I have a badge of like snot every night just before bed on my clothes. So I have grown a long way, but I'm not having that bottle of water down there. Okay, so we are going to look at this theme, and um, today, I'm not going to go for too long, because the kids will be coming back here, and we've had communion, so maybe 25 minutes or so, um, we're going to look at a few characters who had their lives turned upside down by knowing Jesus, who moved from knowing of Jesus and knowing about Jesus to knowing him. It had a huge impact on their lives. When I met Nikki in 1996, I didn't know her at all. By the end of that year, I knew a lot about Nikki. When we got married, I knew more. And now, 18 years on in marriage, I know even more about her. But the journey's not over. And in a decade's time, I'm going to know even more than I currently know today. So as I said, this is a journey. There isn't an arrival point. We want to know more and more about Jesus. And we want to have our lives completely transformed by his incredible power. When Nikki spoke a couple of weeks ago, she spoke about the Greek verb to know. And one of the, um, the, one of the definitions of it is to have had first-hand experience of. And we're going to look at some characters today who knew about Jesus, and then they had a first-hand experience of Jesus. That was the start of their lifelong journey of knowing him. And it changed everything. And we need to remember that we know Jesus, most of us in this room, And he can change everything for the people who just know of him and about him. And we have such an opportunity to tell people about this incredible God who loves them so much. 
Let's look first of all, shall we, shall we, a guy in Mark chapter 10. I'm reading today from the Amplified Bible. It's going to be on the screens, all the Bible verses if you want to look up there, but if you want to look in your own Bible or look on your phone and pretend you're reading, but you're really WhatsApping, um, then you can. But people behind you might call you out. If that happens, if someone in front of you is WhatsApping, just put your hand in the air. No, don't, 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 don't. You're all safe. It's okay. You can do whatever you like. I don't mind. You can have a nap if you want. So here we go. Mark 10, 46 to 52. Um, Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, that's Jesus and his disciples, they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road, as was his custom. When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. Many, many sternly rebuked him, telling him to, sit, to keep still and be quiet. But he kept on shouting all the more, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, telling him, take courage, get up, he is calling for you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means my master, let me regain my sight. Jesus said to him, go, your faith and confident trust in my power has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. Beautiful story, isn't it? There's a few things I'd like us to pick up today. Firstly, is the fact that it says Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by. So there he is. It's his custom to sit at the side of the road and probably a large crowd like coming. He can hear this crowd coming. He's thinking, what is going on? But he, he, he hears that it's Jesus who is passing by. And it's obvious from this that he knew of Jesus and he knew about him. Jesus' reputation had preceded him into this area. This guy had heard the stories that have been talked about. There is this amazing guy. He could be the Messiah. There's, he's, he's got miracles following him. There's the power of God being unleashed. This guy is incredible. He knew of him and he knew about him. And what I found really interesting in reading this passage from a different point of view is that his knowledge of Jesus elicited in him a response. His knowledge of Jesus elicited a response. He didn't just know of him and think, well, I'll just stay here then. Actually, because he knew of him, he wanted to respond in some way. He wanted to do something about that. And he must have hoped that Jesus would be able to change his life around, to change his status quo, because it was his custom to sit at the side of the road. That was what he, that's what he was known for, as was his custom. This guy just sat at the side of the road begging. What else was he to do? I've been reading up on the plight of blind people in, in biblical times. There were many more, it's believed, because there were no antibiotics and there was no glasses to wear and there... There's, there's no eye drops if you get an infection and nobody could do a bit of sight restorative surgery. And for those of us who wear glasses, pretty large prescription glasses, we would have struggled in biblical times. There's many of us in this room who may have had assistance with our eyes, even eye infections that could have led to blindness in, in centuries gone past. And then you weren't able to work what you had to do is many, most people turned to begging and just had to hope that people would give them enough to get by on. In Leviticus, they had to create laws 
so that you couldn't lead a blind person the wrong way and you couldn't cause them to stumble. They were trying to protect blind people because there were many of them. And this is Bartimaeus. And when he heard that Jesus was present, he called out because he wanted an encounter. Jesus is present here today. Are we prepared to call out because we want an encounter? Or would we rather stay silent? Bartimaeus shouts out. And he gets people saying to him, sit still and be quiet. Now that reminded me of the snail and the whale. And uh, <laughs> you don't, if you don't know that, don't worry. It's a beautiful book. But um, there's this little snail, I'm going to tell you anyway. There's this little snail who wants to travel around the world. And all the other snails on the, on the black rock tell him to sit still. Sit still and stay quiet, be put, all that kind of thing. And that, that is happening here anyway. So he calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. And they, they sternly rebuke him. What does that mean? Not like, shh, hey, better not disturb him, you be quiet. They sternly rebuke him. Who do you think you are? I don't know what they say. Who do you think you are? Stop calling out, be quiet, don't disturb the master. I don't know what they say to him. They sternly rebuke him. If you were trying to encounter Jesus and you wanted to get yourself in a position where you were calling out to Jesus and all the people around you told you to shut up and stop calling out, sit still and be quiet, most of us would. Most of us would do that. Most of us in this room probably apologise if somebody else walks into us because we're so beautifully British. So you're just walking along, someone hits you, oh, sorry. And you haven't done anything, but we're just naturally, we're, we're apologisers. You know, there's this brilliant story from Christmas a couple of years ago where Nikki was so British, she had a gash on her foot and still didn't say anything because she was walking behind the table my family's Christmas and my sister rocked her chair back onto Nikki's foot, which didn't have a shoe on it, onto the top of her foot. And Nikki's like, mm, standing behind the chair. My sister's just sitting on the chair and, and Nikki's foot is under one of the legs of the chair and Nikki's just like freaking out. And in the end, she's like, uh, Sally... I'm, I'm very sorry, I think you might be on my foot. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> that is so beautifully polite. That is a lot of our wiring. And I tell that story because, one, it's brilliant, but two, because if that's how polite we are, when people tell us to be quiet, we do. It's very difficult to be told to be quiet and keep going with some noise, but Bartimaeus, he wasn't having any of it. They sternly rebuked him, but he kept going. He called all the louder. He called all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And what happened? Incredibly, Jesus stopped. I love that. I love that. Two simple, very simple words. And then he sent for Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus jumped up, threw his cloak aside and went to Jesus you know, I was telling some of the people yesterday, one of the stories I don't think I told you with my brother's cancer journey. Maybe I did, but I'll tell you again. There was this time when I saw my brother and he was really looking ill. And I couldn't cope very well with seeing him looking ill. And I knew he was trying to be brave and I couldn't cope with that even more. And um, in the end, I had to go out and that's when it sort of hit me um, like a ton of bricks. And I just broke down and I was crying and I was sobbing out. And then I remembered the story of the lady who'd been bleeding for 12 years and she reached out and touched Jesus' garment. She was like, if I can just touch him, I'm going to be healed. I just need that connection point. So I reached out on behalf of my brother, covered in tears and snot and crying my eyes out. And I was, I was 
picturing reaching out and touching the garment of Jesus. And then I believe I saw Jesus turn around and stop and look at me and say, who touched me? Just like in the story. And I was like, it was me, Jesus. It was me, Pete. I'm here. I'm doing it on behalf of my brother. You've got to. And I just had this moment where I reached out and I shouted out and I believed that I was in that moment of prayer where some power was being released. Where Jesus was saying, who touched me? Some power just went from me. What's happening there? And in this story, Bartimaeus, he doesn't know that story. He hasn't read it. But he's having a similar revelation. I've heard of this guy. And if what people say about him is true, I don't care whether I get told off or not. I don't care if I look stupid in the eyes of other people. I am desperate to have an encounter. If you don't know Jesus, you may be thinking, yeah, well, it's just embarrassing though. How would I tell my friends? How would I tell my colleagues? What if my life has to change a bit? What, you know, how does, how's this all going to work? I might just feel stupid. You might say to me, hey, if anyone would like to give their heart to Jesus, why don't you put your hand up? Be like, fuck. I couldn't put my hand up. How could I possibly put my hand up? What you could do is call out. And even if everybody else said, put your hand down, what do you think you're doing? You're like, no, I'm going for this. I want an encounter. It's so countercultural. But Bartimaeus was brave enough to jump up and come to Jesus. I love Jesus' question. You see this a few times in the Bible. What do you want me to do for you? When people, this is just a pastoral note, when people have an obvious physical um, concern, of any description, it's so easy for us if we pray for people to just assume, ah, they must be coming forward for that. Let's give people the courtesy of saying, hey, what do you want want me to pray for? Let's not just assume because we think they're coming up for one thing, might be coming for something else. He may have come forward and said, I just wondered whether you can help me with my foot. It's been hurting for a while. I've been sitting on it for, you know, 40 years and it's just so sore every day. I I get cramp. Would you just sort my foot out for me? So Jesus asks him. He gives him that benefit And he says, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. And immediately he can see. And there's another response that gets elicited in this guy. As he moves from knowing of to having first-hand experience, that, that Greek word of knowledge, he suddenly follows. His life is transformed. His, his, his normal custom of sitting on the floor is done. That's finished. He doesn't say, thank you, that's awesome, and go back and sit down where he was. He follows Jesus. And I was thinking about that. We don't hear of him again. I wonder how far he followed him. It's an interesting question, I think. To the end of the road? To the end of Jericho? Until dinner time? For life? Was he there when Jesus was arrested and all the disciples ran away? Was Bartimaeus one of the people who ran away at that stage? We don't know how long Bartimaeus followed Jesus for. But it led to a complete transformation in his life through an encounter with Jesus as he got first-hand experience. He got purpose and direction in his life instead of aimlessness. He got movement instead of stagnation sitting at the side of the road. I just feel to challenge us briefly. Does life sometimes feel a little aimless, lacking in direction and purpose? Are we stagnating? Perhaps we feel like we're going nowhere. Perhaps we need a fresh touch from Jesus. Perhaps you need your first touch from Jesus. Maybe we need to position ourselves, cry out to him and allow him to change everything for us. 
Remember the song we used to sing? Just one touch from the king changes everything. And it did for Bartimaeus. Now one challenge for all of us who who know Jesus, the phrase, as was his custom, really jumped out at me as I read this. Bartimaeus was sitting at the side of the road, as was his custom. So this guy was known for sitting beside the, the road, obviously enough. And I felt challenged, which of my traits or behaviors with other people who know me say that's his custom, as was his custom? What am I known for? That was my question to myself as I was getting this ready. As was his custom, what am I known for? He was slightly stroppy and a bit moody, as was his custom. I don't know. You know I'm not saying that of me, but I'm, you know, he was a bit over the top and maybe overshared when he spoke, as was his custom. But whatever it happens to be, what am I known for? What are you known for? How do people know you? And does it look like Jesus? There's the challenge to us, I think. Okay, should we look at the second person? We're going to look at a favorite of mine from Luke 19, Zacchaeus. <clears throat> oh, we'll probably only do two. Here we go. Um, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig sycamore, sorry, fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything... I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Another fantastic story. Zacchaeus, tax collector, chief tax collector, taking money from his own people, if you don't know how that operated, for the Romans. He'd take money from his own people to give to the Romans, take a cut himself. He was very wealthy. He said there, if I have cheated anybody, he had cheated everybody. Okay, he knew he had cheated people. And, if, and he, so that was a big thing to be saying, not only giving half of what he had, but to everyone he had cheated, he was going to give four times what he had taken from them. Why was that? Because he'd had an encounter with Jesus. Let's find out about it. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And in one of the translations, it says he was so desperate to see Jesus. That's the language that's used. That even though he's a short guy, he would climb a tree so that he could see Jesus and not be hidden in the crowd. Like Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. And he too was stirred to move, to get closer, to try to reach out and touch, to at least see for himself. He too would have been ridiculed. Who's this guy think he is? This, you know, I don't know how people would have insulted him. They would have insulted him. They didn't want him in the crowd looking at this this Messiah. He was a scumbag. He could stay back in his house. 
But he was prepared to take on that. He was prepared to go past the pain barrier that many of us would fall short at because he needed to get close to Jesus. And as Jesus walked past, he looked up the tr- into the tree. So Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house for dinner. That's a big deal. That isn't rude, as I used to think it was. That's a bit presumptuous. He might not want you out for dinner because that's sort of our mindset. Hey, at the end of the service, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Um, it's, it's, it's an unusual way of doing it, but actually, that was what an honor it would have been to have this, this amazing rabbi come to your house. And it's not just for a short time. It takes a while to prepare food. It's not, you know, stick it in the microwave or just whiz you up some pasta, Jesus. You'll be on your way in half an hour. This was a long encounter in his house, which is an amazing thing for him to have. And Zacchaeus moved from knowing about Jesus to having him around for dinner in a very short amount of time. And it was a meal that would change everything in Zacchaeus' life. It all goes kind of crazy in verse 8. Oh, where are you going? Where are you going? Can you go back to for me? No, I'm going to do it. I've got it. There we go. So Jesus comes around to his house and something, suddenly, the whole thing, the whole thing seems to change in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and I'm going to pay back four times the amount. What on earth is going on? And I think it's this, that there had been an internal change that was evidenced outwardly. And Nikki and I have been talking about this this week, about how this is so crucial that everything that God does in us can't just be inside and no one can see any difference. We need to allow him to change our heart and our mind and our understanding, but then it must be evidenced outwardly. People must be able to see that we are the people of Jesus. There needs to be something different. There needs to be something evidenced. And Zach, Zach, oh, I love calling him Zach. Zach is, is that character where something internal has happened and it is evidenced outwardly enormously. Zacchaeus had experienced the love, the forgiveness, the acceptance of Jesus internally and it got demonstrated externally in two particular ways, didn't it? Outrageous generosity is the first one. Outrageous generosity. He was a rich man and suddenly his eyes were open to the plight of other people around him, not just himself. And he, You can have half of everything. The poor, I'm going to give my money to the poor. And most of us in this room would be like, well, I've had encounters, but I don't want God to be, do that one in me. Because, you know, what about my pension? You know, th- this is how we are. Yeah, I would give generously, but my car's six years old and I probably should get a new one. You, see what I mean? There's just, it's just a way that we are. And I'm not n- knocking anybody. I keep looking at new cars. I think, oh, it'd be nice to have a new car one day. And then I, you know, I probably I will have a new car one day. But the impact of him meeting with Jesus is a challenging one to me. Outrageous generosity. We are an outrageously generous people. And then what else is going on? Why does he then behave and give four, four times the amount back? And, oh, look at that, a dog. And I think what's going on is repentance. If we look at Matthew four seventeen, it says this. From that time on, after wilderness... Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the NIV's version. And this word repent, we have been taught many times, is, you know, you're going in one direction and to repent means you take a 180 degrees and you live your life going in another direction. 
And that is part of repentance, definitely. But when we looked in the Amplified, Nikki and I, at the word repentance uh, about a week ago, it was so much more helpful in our understanding. And this looks like what's happened in Zach, true repentance. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a cool, cool um, sort of extrapolation of what it means to repent. I love that. And I think that probably he regretted his past sins all of a sudden. He had this encounter and he was having a true repentance moment and suddenly he could see all the things he'd done in the past. He didn't gloss over them and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I now know Jesus. No, he truly regretted what he'd done in the past and he wanted to live in a way that proved repentance. It happened naturally in his heart. There was an outward display of what was going on internally. Bartimaeus, he knows about Jesus and he calls out. And he has his life transformed. He suddenly gets purpose, direction, and movement in his life through knowing Jesus and sight. Zacchaeus knows about Jesus. He positions himself too. And his life is transformed in an instant as he has an encounter with Jesus. The internal change evidenced outwardly to the world around him. All through knowing Jesus for himself rather than knowing about him. Zacchaeus' issue was greed. Money was his master. And when he met Jesus, his old way of thinking was smashed. He still had money, but money didn't have him. And that was the big difference. And then it was evidenced through generosity. So a challenge to myself and to you is what evidence is there outwardly that I'm becoming more like Jesus inwardly? Big question, hey. What evidence is there outwardly that I'm becoming more like Jesus inwardly? Do things that used to hold me captive still hold me captive? Or have I been set free like Zacchaeus was set free in a moment? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free no longer to be held captive by things that used to hold us captive. It's okay to have money. Don't let it have you. Do things that used to hold you captive still hold you captive? Maybe you and I, we both need to do some repenting. We need to start to change our inner self, our old way of thinking. We need to think in a different direction. We need to regret the past and then live in a way that proves repentance. And seek God's purpose for our life. One of the things that changed quickest in me when I got saved, my instant thing was temper. I was angry. I was angry. You know, I can look back now and think, well, maybe I was angry because of my parents breaking up. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I was angry, but I was just angry. It was mainly if I lost I couldn't lose. I could not lose. And I, I see, you know, I see small traits of that in Aris. I'm trying to work her through that. It's good to, to, to have a desire to win. But when your desire to win becomes a, an inability to lose, then you, you de- like Aria doesn't want to play anything where there's a winner or a loser. 
I don't, no, don't want to play it. So we're just encouraging her. You can play snap, and it doesn't matter if you're not going to win. And I was, I was furious. I, I mean, you know, I've told you I broke the cupboard at my dad's house um, because the cupboard door opened slightly and hit me on the head, and I hit it back. Stupid. I, I played... Okay, we had um, a little snooker table at home when I was about 15, and I was playing snooker with my dad, and I lost the game. I mean, who, who cares? I punched things. I snapped the cue over my lap. I threw it against the wall. I went down the garden, hid behind the shed, and just stood there shaking and crying with anger that I'd lost that game. I was furious. I, I don't know where it had come from, but I know when... I found Jesus in August 1988 and got baptized February the 12th, 89. I said, Lord, can you help me with my temper? And it was gone. It was gone. I was like, oh. I, I, and since then, I like to win. So people often think I still have a bit of, that, bit of that in me. I like to win. I don't see the point of playing to lose. So, yeah. But if I, if, I, if I lose, I don't mind, as long as I've represented myself well. So... Yeah, you understand. That's okay. Otherwise, there's not much point. Um, but I, it's quite handy, really, becoming a PE teacher, wasn't it? I mean, can you imagine if I was still like that and I was teaching PE? Yeah, we used to go to the district sports and stuff, and the other PE teachers had a lot of, come on, run! And I'd have my, my lot sort of all jogging around. I'm like, go on, as long as you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll go to McDonald's on the way back in the bus. Um, <laughs> that was fun. Um, oh gosh, loads of time's gone. Hello, I thought you were calling for me. We've all, we're all called Dada, so it's very tricky to know. Um, okay, there's one more person, um, and you can, I'll let you, yeah, you do some homework on this guy, okay? Um, the 10 lepers in Luke 17. They stand there, they risk calling out as well. Jesus heals them. One comes back with a thankful heart. And the, the evidence in his life is this spontaneous praise and adoration and thanksgiving. Maybe that's you too. When you brush up against Jesus, you just can't help yourself but sing. You can't help yourself but praise and be thankful and grateful. Have a look at Luke 17 and find out what God wants to say to you beyond what I've said. So a couple of final challenges. And they are these. To those of us who do know Jesus today, a couple of thoughts. Is our knowing Jesus evidence to those around us as we go into tomorrow, wherever we find ourselves? School, university, sixth form college, work, friends, family. Wherever we find ourselves. Is there evidence to the world around us that we know Jesus can people see by the way that we live that we know the living God of the universe? Here's another challenge to us who know Jesus. In the biblical stories that we've done, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus and the lepers actually, they all knew about and knew of Jesus. Because his reputation did, as I said earlier, it did precede him. He was the talk of the town Everyone knew of him. It was, the, it was the gossip of the moment. Everyone's just spreading the word of Jesus. And so in each of their stories, they, when Jesus is coming, they want to get close because they've heard about this guy. And it got me thinking that that isn't the case now. Jesus' reputation does not precede him in England in 2020. He is not the talk of the town. 
He's not the talk of this city yet. I believe he will be. So if we want people to hear of Jesus and position themselves for an encounter and call out to Jesus for themselves and have their lives transformed, and we do, then we need to share some stories. We need to let people know about Jesus. You don't want anyone to say to you, if only you told me. How how was I supposed to reach out to Jesus? I didn't know anything about Jesus. You never told me about Jesus. Hans had this dream, nightmare dream that I woke up from. And that was happening beyond my life on earth. People were saying that to me. You never told me. I didn't know. How was I to, how was I to know? It was a dreadful, dreadful dream. Jesus, Jesus' name isn't making room for itself because of what, what's happening in the land en masse. So let us not be silent with what we know, with what we have, with what we've, with what we've got. Yes, let's have our lives evidence it, but let's not be scared to speak as well. Let's share some stories about what God is up to. Let's get people questioning around us so they too can be stirred into action and say, I want to find out more. I'm going to call out, even though it's embarrassing, or I'm just going to, I'm going to um, make a move to get closer like Zacchaeus did, even if it's embarrassing and people think I'm weird, but I want to find out more about Jesus. That's going to happen when we start being brave enough with our story. And to those of you who don't yet know Jesus, there may be some of you in the room today. Maybe you know of him. Maybe you know loads about him. Can I challenge you to call out to him? Even if people tell you to be quiet. Can I tell you to position yourself like Zacchaeus did, even if it's embarrassing and you'd rather not because what people might think about you. You might just have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life forever. Should we pray together? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that there's so much we can learn in it. And may that not be so we get head knowledge, but may it be so that we get heart knowledge of who you are and our place in the story. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for Bartimaeus, his bravery in calling out. And we thank you for your mercy and your love that healed him and changed his life forever. We thank you for Zacchaeus, who had a history, who had a past like we do. But yeah, he was brave enough to step out and you changed his life forever with your love. Lord, I pray that we will have the courage to show outwardly what's going on inwardly. We would have the courage to find our voice, to, to tell stories and to share of you. And if we don't yet know you, Lord, I pray that we'll have the courage to call out and position ourselves for an encounter with you. Lord, I pray that you'll keep us all so safe and happy and well and in love with each other until we see each other again. Amen.